Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Uh, we're going to look at what I'm going to call a picture of content. And uh, looking at Heath's picture here, it's just the idea of a man whose eyes are closed and at peace because he is satisfied. He has everything that he needs. We're going to start with verse 3. And this is going to give us a context of what we're going to talk about throughout the day. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And then slipping down to verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Let's pray one more time. Our Father in heaven, no matter where we are at today, whether we're experiencing good or bad, we want to say to you that you are good. And we ask that you would bring us to a place, no matter what our circumstances are, that we can be content in a divine way, in a way that our hearts connect with you and help us to realize that we still have needs as we walk through this life. We have you to meet our deepest need, to be our Father who watches over us, who takes care of us, even in the midst of what we think is silence or the disappointment that we feel that you haven't answered the way we would like you to answer. Father, aside from the sermon, we also ask as a church family that tomorrow, as Emma Kim heads off into heart surgery,
that you would lead the doctors, give them wisdom, the years of training and experience that they have, may it be just right. Bring her through this, whole and healthy. Give her strength for such a young girl to work through the pain that's going to be evident and obvious. Give strength to Alex and Olivia and Maddie and Lukey as they would be a family to her in this time of need. Father, we ask for your mercy and your grace over and abundant. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a picture of content. Is uh, is there anyone here today that would like a little extra cash? Anyone? I'd have to say, you know, for all of us who are honest, all of us, right? Who wouldn't like to have a little extra money, especially in difficult economic times? Now, let me see if I can get this right. This always worries me. Does anyone know what these numbers mean? Oh, some of you do. You must work at Dominic's. <laughs> because what they really mean is this. And this is like about, what, $215 million uh, if you have these numbers. And unfortunately, none of you live in Maryland or been downtown in Illinois or uh, way, way down there. Those are the winning lottery numbers. Did you know what I heard uh, or what I read the other day in the Daily Herald yesterday was that Americans spent $1.4 billion trying to win that $640 million in the lottery. Isn't that amazing? This is what you can buy with $1.4 billion. You can feed 238,000 American families for a year. You can buy 73, a 73% share of the Los Angeles Dodgers based on the $2 billion that Magic Johnson paid and everyone else with him. Can you imagine that? Incredible. You can stock up on 228 tons of beluga caviar, which, of course, I don't even know why you'd want that much, let alone even just a little bit. Here's the scary thing. You could trim this year's expected $1.3 trillion federal deficit by just over one-tenth of 1%. Isn't that scary? I mean, that's like just scratching the surface. Or if you're really into guns, maybe like some of our law enforcement guys, you might want to be able to buy 10 F-22 Raptor Stealth Fighter Jets. Wouldn't that be cool to have in your backyard? (laughs) Nobody's messing with you in your neighborhood. $640 million. Does anyone know who this man is? This man's last week was an incredible week. His name is Aike Batista one of the richest men in the world. Do you know how much money he made last week? $7.2 billion. How's that for a good week? I told my kids yesterday, it'll take me 100 lifetimes and I still wouldn't be able to scratch that. Can you have $7.2 billion in one week? The Daily Herald was saying that uh, for the richest people in the world, they made like $13 billion last week. Bill Gates himself, it says here, made $664 million which is almost what the lottery was. So even if you won the lottery by yourself, even though there were three winners, you still wouldn't have made as much as Bill Gates made in one week. Isn't that amazing? Money. Money. If I were a beetle, I would tell you money can't buy you love, right? And if I were a normal person, I would say money can't buy you happiness. If I were a singer in Pink Floyd, I would say money, it's a gas. And of course, it takes a lot of money these days to get some gas, right? Thank you. 
<laughs> money is time. And probably one of the better ones is, show me the money. Now, I have to tell you, all of 1 Timothy 6 is not about just money. There's a bigger context to what is actually going on here in this chapter. Ultimately, we're going to get to a point where it's going to talk about contentment, but I want us to see in the context as a whole that Paul is talking to Timothy, who's a pastor of a church. He's written him this personal letter, and he's giving him all of these instructions, and he's talking about in the first part of chapter 6, specifically to people who are in ministry. And that's where in verses 3 and following, he's talking about if anyone teaches these false doctrines, and they get into all the arguments, and he finally slips down to verse 5, and he says, these guys think godliness is a means to financial gain. And what he's trying to say is, listen, Timothy, ministry is not about making money. And being godly is not about getting money just for the sake of money, to be rich in essence. Because really, what Paul wanted Timothy to know was that godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, I'm going to throw a disclaimer in here. It's not that Paul is instructing Timothy not to be rich but to ultimately desire riches. He wants to get him to a place where he sees that contentment, but even deeper, an eternal perspective is even greater than the money that you think that you need in order to prosper or do well in life. So I'm just going to give us two points today. And the first one is charge it. You know, because like money, charge it. Can I see how that fits? And then anybody here um, use chase? You like that? See? Don't chase after it. A little money illusion in there for you. A little extra. And uh, charge it because money. A lot of us have the cards. We charge it. Okay, if you have to explain your point, you know you're in trouble, right? <laughs> but I don't want you to miss that because it came to me this morning and I thought it was so profound. So don't chase after riches. Sit down to verse 17. Here's why I use the word charge. Because Paul says, command, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. See, what Paul is saying here is, listen, Timothy, as you minister in your church, command the people in your church, especially those who are rich, not to be arrogant or to put their hope in riches. It's a charge. He's not saying, Timothy, when you stand up and you preach the word, get up there and say, hey, guys, I know you're rich. Have you ever thought about using your money for something else? No. That kind of sounds like it's a recommendation or a suggestion. But the heart of Paul, the pastor, speaking to Timothy in his heart as a pastor is to say, when you speak to your people, command them. Demand that they do not become arrogant in their richness and they do not put their hope in these riches that will not last. Why? Because they take us away from Christ. If we're to go backwards a little bit, in verse 9 it says, these people who are rich or want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. You see, Paul is saying, command 
your people not to seek after riches because when you look for riches, it takes you away from Christ. And it leads to destruction, not to gain. It leads to arrogance, like he says in verse 17. Now, disclaimer, not all rich people are arrogant. And I know sometimes when you look at the movies, you always get the, you know, the, the blonde uh, teenage girl who is snooty and looks down at everybody and who's the mean person. You can see it in High School Musical with Sharpay. Um, if you watch Disney um, and you watch Ant Farm, you can see it with the cheerleader girl there. It's just always the white blonde girl that's all bubbly and rich and happy and just kind of snooty and arrogant. And that's the picture that we have. Or Paris Hilton. I don't know, or maybe, you know, but that's the idea that we have. But it's, I'm not saying all rich people are arrogant, but riches have a tendency to get us to a place where we can be, and more often than not, are arrogant, where we look down on people. And it could be in simple things. Even though I don't think many of us here are rich enough to make $7.2 billion in a week, but if you ever go into a place that is impoverished and you look at what people are living in, the conditions or the stuff that they have, isn't there a sense in your heart where you kind of feel like, ah, you know what I mean? And maybe I'm the only person who feels that. That is, in a sense, arrogance. Paul says, command your people. Charge it. Do not chase after riches because... I forgot something. Sorry. There we go. Because you will become puffed up. Thank you. Jigglypuff, right? Puffed up. Don't be arrogant in the midst of chasing after your riches. All right, sorry about that. Here's the other thing. <clears throat> Not only be arrogant. Can I turn, does that, does that turn off? Does that turn off? Do I have the power to do that? Okay, great. I don't want you guys to get lost in the jigglypuff thing. Don't be arrogant or puffed up, nor put your hope in wealth, which is uncertain. Now, um, I, my brother's kind of funny, and he's, he's always said, you know, money can't buy you happiness but I sure would like to try, right? Because in a sense, money does bring a lot of peace, doesn't it? If, you're, if you get into an accident and you want to be able to buy a new car and you have the cash and you can pay it for in cash, so much better. You're living in a house, you want to get a bigger house or you want to move to another neighborhood. If the house is paid off and you have money to move somewhere else, you know, money really is a nice thing to have if you want all those things, if that's your goal. But... You can't put your hope in them because they cannot protect you from everything. Things like illness. You know, rich people die just as much as poor people die, 100% of the time. Money is not something that you want to put your hope in to think that this is going to be the very thing that is going to take care of everything in your life. In fact, one of the things in Yahoo News, they mentioned that lottery winners often have a lot of financial problems because now everybody comes out of the woodworks and wants to sue them. Why? Because y'all got money. And uh, you know what? You offended me or you did something this or something or that. So money is not something that we want to put our hope in. So, oops. Anybody remember this? Okay, how many of you have Celine Dion songs going through your head right now, right? Here, far. You know what I mean? The guy in the middle is, uh, I know you're all thinking, don't be on the worship team, right? <laughs> the guy in the middle is a rich man. If I remember his character's name, it was Cal Hockley. And he was disgustingly rich. And what was he? Arrogant. 
He was puffed up. He was cream. I'm, I'm the man kind of man. And uh, he was rich. And yes, even though in the midst of his cowardice, and this is fiction, so don't come up to me afterwards and say that's not real history, surviving the sinking of the Titanic. Does anyone remember the end story, what happened to him in 1929? He lost all his money in the great stock crash and took his life, which a lot of rich people did, right? It can't be something that we put our hope in. Because Paul's saying it gives you a false hope that everything is okay. And not everything is okay when you put your hope in riches. Because a lot of times, unfortunately, it leads to destruction. And many times it creates arrogance. And ultimately, it can't give you the hope and the security that you want, not only in this life, but also in the next life. In fact, many of the parables that Jesus tells are about rich people who don't really do too well in the next life because their hope was in their riches and they failed to, say, failed to see the greater picture of what's going on. So when we're going to talk about contentment, when Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, the contrast is with money to ultimately say, hey, listen, money cannot bring you the contentment that you were created to experience when you know God. So don't chase after riches because those riches will not give you what God wants to ultimately give you. Now, if we left the message off at there, every one of us who is apparently richer than most of the people in the world would say, oh, man, that's it? But Paul doesn't stop there, and I think that's the beauty of it. The next thing he says is, save up forever. That's a little texting thing for all you people in there instead of writing out the word F-O-R. But, and don't say that it's misspelled because there's a space there, but that's a memory device. So save up for forever. Listen to what he says, verse 17. <clears throat> but put their hope or your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves or storing up something forever as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Do you want to live? Then don't chase after riches because there's an uncertainty with riches. Instead, save up Forever. Save up forever. See here, what what Paul is basically saying is, listen, there is an eternal perspective that he wants us to grasp when it comes to handling money. The money that we all have is money that God has given to us. He has provided to us. In a sense, Paul goes so far as to say, he has provided for our enjoyment. Now, when I hear that, I don't think, as a disclaimer, that Paul's saying, don't be rich. I don't think he's saying, don't be a penny pitcher. You know, like when you have enough money, don't sit there and haggle like some people do. Hey, you overcharged me 10 cents. Have you ever had that at Dominic's? Right, there you go, right? And that's 10 cents, and they're freaking out. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't get the 10 cents 
from Dominic's. But what I am saying is not to penny pinch in such a way that I'm going to manage my money so much so and I'm going to be so tight with it and I'm not going to share it. But I'm just going to make sure that I'm a good steward and use it in these ways. No, what he's saying here for us to understand is that when we have the riches that God has given to us, that we are to do good. We are to be rich in good deeds. We are to be generous and willing to share. Because the ultimate idea is that when you die, you cannot take it with you. When was the last time you saw you hold on hearts other than this picture? Even if they brought all their stuff in that U-Haul, it still would not do the dead person any good. You really cannot take it with you. What, What Paul here is trying to get them to see is, because you cannot take it with you, get an eternal perspective and store up, lay up treasure, the words of Jesus, lay up treasure as a firm foundation for the coming age. In other words, you want to be rich? In the midst of your riches that you have now, I've got a plan to make you richer, which is use the money that God has given you to bless other people. And not only are you blessing them, but you're also storing up treasure in heaven. Don't chase after riches, but save up forever. You see, most of us see things in a temporal perspective. And that's how we view our money. But God gives us money for a reason, and he has richly blessed us in order to bless other people as a church, which we have done frequently throughout our entire history. And I would have to say, from what I know of this church, that I think, and I could be wrong, so I'm not going to quote God on this because it's not in the scripture, that he's pleased with the way we are generous and the way we give. But maybe not, because he may be seeing that we have more. We hold on to it because our trust is in riches. And our desire is not to live for eternity and to bless people around us. Now, this is not a pitch for you to give more to the church because we're behind in budget, because I don't even know if we are. It's a pitch to say, you are a steward of the money that God has given you. And how you use it is the difference between you chasing after riches and you saving up for forever. Because God gives us that for us to be doing good things with it. God things, kingdom things that bless people that meet people who are struggling and hurting and are in pain and say, I can help with that and I want to help with that because it's my desire. Because we're not only looking at their need, but we're also looking at eternity and understanding that God really wants us to be rich. And the riches that he's given us are to enrich other people. You see, the call that we have here, again, is not... A suggestion, but a command. It's a command. Look at what the verse says again. Verse 18. Command them. Not suggest. Charge them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Because this is the place 
where God wants us to say, God, I have everything that I need. And I'm content. As Paul says earlier in the chapter, as long as you have food and clothes and shelter, the same thing that Jesus said, that's good enough. There's not a need for more. And I'm not saying that you can't have good things. I'm not saying the most beautiful thing Paul would like to see is to walk into this church today and see everyone in rags. Hey, Perry, you don't have any hole in your jeans. Shame on you for buying such nice jeans. I want you to go to Salvation Army and buy a pair of jeans for a dollar with holes in them to show that you have truly arrived at godliness. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying God has given you money. Enjoy it. But in the midst of your enjoyment, a greater joy is to bless other people with the riches that God has given you that they might be drawn into the kingdom of Christ to see Christ for who he is, the generous God, based on the fact that you yourself were very generous to people in need. It's laying up treasures in heaven and ultimately being content with what we have. Now, here's the danger or problem with contentment. Some of you are content in your jobs. Some of you are happy right where you're at. I'm not management, not middle management. Some of you have had opportunities where they say, you know what, you want to be in management? And you go, no, it's a lot more work. I'm content where I'm at. Which can be a good attitude, but can also be a bad attitude because it's saying, saying, What it's saying is, I don't want to work harder. I don't want to try harder. I'm content. I've achieved just enough, and that's it. I'm done, and I'm going to be on cruise control. Maybe God is saying, you know what? By being in that management position, you can now influence and lead people. And maybe with that little extra raise that you have, you have a little bit more room in order to give to other people. So the danger of playing content is that we settle for, settle for. It's like saying, you know what, I'm an associate pastor and I only have to preach every other month and do some Bible study leading and that's good enough for me. I'm content. God says, "Eh, no, there's more. But the other danger, which I think many of us experience, is not really being content. Like a lot of people that Paul's talking to, we're always going, I, I need something more. It's the teenager who, when those um, video games come out, and it's like Call of Duty 1. Well, when you get Call of Duty 1, you know what that means, right? You got to get number 2, and then number 3. It's like, this, like, this, uh, it's like having a series called Final Fantasy, meaning it's over, but then having 13 of them. <laughs> huh? So I had 13 Final Fantasies? I don't understand this. But why would they they grab you in and you're never content because you don't want to miss the end of the story or the end of whatever it is. But that's what it is with life. You know, I have this car. It's 10 years old. It gets me from point A to point B. But I got to have something more or I got to have the bigger house or or I got to have this or I got to have that. And, And before you know, we're never really satisfied with what we have and content because what are we doing? We're looking at everyone else and what they have which is better than what we have, and we're disappointed not realizing that God wants us to look at what we have and what other people, the majority of people, don't have, and then saying thank you. Now, if you're struggling financially, I'm not saying shame on you that you're not trusting God in the midst of this. What I'm saying is to those of us who have enough, in fact, more than enough, Instead of wanting more, the call or the command that Timothy would give to us today is, do not chase after riches. Save up forever. 
by being a blessing to other people. Give of the excess that you have to someone else who is in need and store up for eternity because I am your father and I got your back and you can trust me. Look to eternity. Look to eternity. Be satisfied with what you have. We are stewards of the things that God has given us. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, said the very words similar to what Paul saying is, store up treasure in heaven. Because the treasure down here gets affected by moths and rust and can be stolen. But treasure in heaven is treasure forever. Be content with God, what he's given you, and then take what he's given you and give it to someone else. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, we just thank you for the many things that we have. And I know in our midst now, there are people who are struggling financially. And it's not easy. And it's hard to hear a message on contentment when the bills are piling up high and the financial struggles are great. Father, I thank you for a church family like this who's there and who will be there for people who are struggling. Father, I'd ask that the spirit of generosity that you have poured out or poured into and throughout this church would grow. Father, we have a lot of worries. We're living in a tough economy. It doesn't seem like anything ever gets cheaper but becomes more expensive. Fears of paying for college and all the other things that come across our lives. I would pray. Father, bring us into your heart to a place where we can be content with what we have, even though someone else has more. Father, bring us to a place where the only discontent we feel is that in the midst of our excess, we're not able to bless as many as we could. Let that be our heart attitude. Not for just today, not just for the rest of this week, but for the rest of our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.